the Team Builder Playbook, bite-sized, honest, and practical tips and strategies for building and scaling your team as a startup entrepreneur. Hello, and welcome to the new decade and to 2020. This is Lisa Kostova, and I'm so excited to chat with you guys today about experimentation. You see, I'm entering this decade with this mindset of, I've got to try a bunch of things. I'm so excited. I am like a creator in a pot of clay, my arms deep into the clay, and just experimenting, creating. There's so much creation energy available. And uh, in a future episode, when we talk about kind of the system that I use as one of my tools, astrology, we can go into some depth about why that is so. In the meantime, what I wanted to present to you guys today is a discussion, a conversation about the importance of overcoming a fear of failure as an essential tool for building great businesses and building amazing teams. And that really comes down to developing an experimentation mindset. Story time. So when I worked at Zynga, which was my first real introduction to working at a tech startup and at a super fast growing place in technology, I was introduced to the concept that Facebook first developed in Silicon Valley, and that is fail as fast as you can and as often as you can. So when I was working on Farmville, which was a very dynamic game, at its peak, it was serving over 30 million people daily. When we were working on that product, it was so crazy fast. We had to turn around features and product functionalities on a weekly cycle. So at any point in the week, there were three things that were going on minimum. You had all the past week's experiments that you were monitoring and learning from. Then you were writing or coding and embedding this week's experiments and launching them. And then you were also writing and making plans for the future several weeks worth of features and functionalities. So let's say life was really, really busy. But what made it super exciting for me was that despite the huge amounts of Stress. What was really fun was being in an environment when we were launching a ton of things every day, all the time. And then we would sit back and watch the analytics and figure out what was working, what wasn't. And the fun part came from the fact that we would have these hypotheses, but most of the time, more than half of the time, we would be wrong. We would be flat out wrong. And what we thought would work wouldn't. And what we didn't really pay attention to was something that we may have put in as a last minute addition or a, you know, oh, why not? This is fun. Actually ended up working a lot better. So I'll give you an example. I remember the day when we were launching several important features and I was developing two of them. So Farmville at its height was a Facebook-based game. So you were playing on a game board on your Facebook app and the game board was small. And if you wanted to put more things on it, it was a decorative game. So you would grow crops, maybe you would buy some animals, you would get animals and gifts from your friends that you could place on the farm. So you could have homes, you could have different farm structures, you could have different types of animals, you could have different trees, different crops, decorative items. At some point there were pets, etc. So when you were an active user of the game, 
a big problem you would have is you would start running out of room. So periodically, we would offer expansions. That means you would pay a little bit of currency, the type of currency that you would actually have to buy with real money. We had dual currency. That's a topic for another time. So you as a user would buy you know, extra farmland for a bit of currency, and then you would be able to hoard more things and put more animals and plants on your farm. So we were launching expansion and at the same time, we were launching one of the structures that was kind of like a buildable. We called it a buildable. It became a staple in Zynga's playbook later. It was a horse stable at that time. We had launched a dairy barn before that I had worked on. The horse stable was uh, a building that you would put in and it would come with some horses. But the new thing that we did was that it would be composed of 25 parts. And the way that you would get the parts is you would get them as gifts from your friends. And conversely, you would be able to give them as gifts to your friends. So initially, we weren't planning on having any of this be available for purchase. Just these parts would be like a viral mechanic for people to do a lot of gifting, which of course brought a lot of traffic on the app. And daily traffic and daily users were our biggest metric. And that which we were optimizing for. So we were having this horse stable being deployed. And I remember walking to the head of the game at the time, my boss, and <laughs> reviewing the plan with him. And he was a former eBay guy, had done a lot of retail. And so he said, you know, Lisa, why don't we put these parts in the marketplace? It couldn't hurt, right? We could just learn what's going on and how people use them. Sure, let's do it. So how much shall we put them down for? Okay, well, $1 a piece. Okay, let's do $1 a piece. And we literally thought our hypothesis was that these 25 pieces, that people would start gifting them to each other. And then at some point, maybe they were missing a piece or two and they would go and buy it. So we had in our plans and our projections, a little bit of a, of a revenue boost, but not too much. A lot of the hopes and a lot of the revenue projections lay with the with the expansion, which was being released at the same time because of how expansions, how well expansions had done in the past. Anytime we'd released an expansion the first day, we would get hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue just from that one thing. The features launch, they go out into the wild, they get part of the game, and I'm starting to watch the revenue metric, the uh, real-time purchases uh, in Farmville. And the thing just blows up. It skyrockets. It just goes so much higher than anything we've expected before. And at that time, I think we've only had one or two days where we broke a million dollars in revenue in one day. And within the first half an hour, I knew we were going to break that milestone and get even more. And so now I'm going down into the data to dig further and see where the money's coming from. And I'm totally expecting to see it coming from expansion. So I pull up the data for expansion and sure enough, there's, you know, some purchases and it's doing well. I had previously hypothesized that it was going to do very well because I had price tested it. I had placed it on the marketplace and had given it three or four different price points, maybe even five on a percentage of our users. And what I found was a vertical demand curve. In other words, no matter how 
high the price was within that range, the same percentage of people would click purchase thinking that they would buy it. So we had launched it at a price thing that was 50% higher than the highest price I tested. So it was quite expensive and we were getting nice revenue from it, but it was probably just over 100,000 for that day. It wasn't, it wasn't that much. At the same time, what was really blowing up the revenue numbers were the parts, all the different five parts to make the horse stable. And it turns out some people were just so excited about this new building, this new feature in the game that they wanted to have it right then and there. So they went and just bought it for $25, bought all the parts, didn't wait to be gifted, didn't wait to collect them. It was just, yeah, give me the horse stable. I want it. It's mine, 25 bucks, done. So we sold a whole lot of digital pixelated horse stables and made a whole lot of money that day and the following week. And that catapulted the horse stable as one of the key concepts in the Zynga playbook of features, of functionalities that made money. So why am I saying that? Well, for me, it was very, it was always very exciting to see what worked and what didn't. And I learned so much from the things that I thought would work, but didn't. And of course, I learned a lot from the things that I didn't think would work and they did and understanding why they worked and what the psychology behind them or the mechanic behind them was, was very, very helpful. What I'm taking away from this into my current life as a leadership and executive coach for entrepreneurs and as an entrepreneur myself is that, you know, as one of my coaches, Eben Pagan says, only one of five things you try will eventually work and become big or successful. And I agree with that. That's roughly the stats that I learned at Zynga and at various places where I did a lot of experiments online. So given that only, you know, 20% of what you try will work, the key is to try as many things as possible in your life, in your business, in your relationships. We'll talk about that in a second. But really it is it is deploying a lot of things that are going to give you information. Because feedback is important if you're looking to build something. Feedback is key. And feedback by the law of the average will come 80% of the time from failures. So you need to fail your way to success. What I'm doing now, for example, this podcast is an experiment, you guys. So is a workshop I'm doing in Portland next week and the week after that is uh, talking to entrepreneurs in a co-working facility about building teams and expensive mistakes when building and hiring. I'm also doing another live workshop in Southern California at the end of the month, and that one is targeted more around planning for 2020-2021 and builds on different concepts that I'm seeing in the world of personal development as it relates uh, to astrology. So I'm deploying all of these experiments and a lot of them have very new components. For example, one of the workshops I'm also doing as an affiliate program. So I've spun off affiliate links for some of my friends, entrepreneurs to market. What else am I trying that's new? Oh yeah, I offered a live streaming option because I wanted to see how to figure that one out 
and to see what happens, even if it's just like a couple of people going on a live stream, that's going to give me a lot of data and a lot of information. Obviously, I'm recording the content so I can then experiment with repurposing it and putting it up for sale. So there's a lot of a lot of experiments that I'm doing in my business. And I'm fully consciously aware that probably about 20% of them only will work out and 80% of them will be will be failures. But here's the important distinction I want you guys to get. Each failure contains with itself an important lesson. And if we don't personalize the failure by saying, oh, I'm bad, I don't deserve, I'm not worthy, you know, nobody wanted to come to my workshop, only X number of people signed up, you know, this is never going to work. If we end up personalizing it like that, that's the real failure because we fail to see what the takeaway was. So with that in mind, this next segment of the podcast, I love this one. I'm experimenting with it. Let me know what you think is what kind of bias is this? What kind of bias? I'm reading lots of books about biases, both in the investment world, as well as in the personal development and entrepreneurship fields. There's a lot of biases that we as human beings use as lenses to view reality and interpret reality and interpret results. So what kind of bias is this? I think it is a sunk cost fallacy. Sunk cost fallacy says that, well, I've invested money, time, effort in this project. It's not going as I expect it to be going. So I should just try harder. I should protect the investment that I've already made and just double down and do whatever is possible to make it work. And you end up throwing good money after bad. In the investment world, that oftentimes results in investors holding on to stocks that have falling prices and conversely, through a sister fallacy, selling stocks when their prices started rising just a little bit instead of riding them all the way to higher places. So the sunk cost fallacy is really one to watch out for when you are building a business and building a team. As my um, favorite coach so far, I'm studying with him in his coaching program right now, Eben Pagan and his wife, Annie. As they say, they quote somebody saying, and I agree with this 100%, it's never too late to turn back from the wrong road. So no matter how far down the wrong road you've gotten, turn around if it looks like things are not working out as well there. And it's a lot easier. It's so much easier to turn around from the wrong road if you are going down several different roads. If you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. If you're looking to do a number of things at the same time and then just see which one works and double down, triple down on it, that will make it a lot easier to abandon or kind of learn and and write off the other roads that you've gone down on. And remember, once you go down those roads and it doesn't work out, you end up with an important lesson. You learn. You learn something that... When you intellectually read it from somebody else's experience, it's not going to get integrated as well as when you learn it on your own dime in your own life. Tip of the week, segment tip of the week. As I mentioned, what I'm learning from Eben in his coaching program is a number of tools and strategies 
to implement with my own coaching clients. And I want to use one of these techniques with you guys today. This is powerful, especially if you're afraid of failure. And if you have some sort of hesitation or feelings of unworthiness come up when you're thinking about launching something, if it's a product, if it's a feature, if it's a marketing piece, if it's a starting to hire for your team, starting to expand and grow your team, whatever it is, if you have any feelings of failure and hesitation and unworthiness and, and, uh, and fears around that, this is going to be very powerful. The technique is called prescribe the symptom. What I want you to do if you have those feelings is pick three areas in your life that are of low consequence, perhaps doing like a habitual thing around your house or waking up at certain times or doing something that's going to be a low consequence if you get it wrong. So for example, if one of your fears is fear of public speaking. Maybe you go in front of a group of friends or a group of people at work and you consciously flop what you are going to say and you make a mistake and you just see what that feels like. Pick one of these areas or all three and give yourself the goal of failing three or five or even 10 times in the coming week in that area. So for example, if it's, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to call and ask for a favor from a friend or family member then perhaps you call three friends and you ask for that favor or you ask them for something and you just fully accept that they'll say no or it's not going to work and see what you learn just experience failure intentionally once you do that write to me or put a comment in the podcast section and go and celebrate And after you celebrate, realize what you've learned. Because as we said, failure is feedback and feedback is information. Now, how can you apply the strategy in building teams? So the experimentation mindset needs to be modified for relationships because relationships are, you know, they're not just little experiments. These are people and they are important to your life. And so you don't want to end up treating people like disposable napkins, of course. The way I see it is you can apply experimentation in two distinct areas when it comes to relationships, whether relationships in your business or in your personal life. The first is before committing or hiring someone or getting in a relationship with somebody. So that period of dating or of interviewing, of talking to and vetting people, Go and talk to and vet as many people as possible with express understanding that at least four out of the five are not going to be a great fit. You'll need to talk to them still and you'll probably need to invest some time in getting to know them. So that's going to be your investment in the experiment. The second area in relationships where you can apply the experimentation mindset is experimenting what works and what doesn't in the way that you behave in the relationship. So this is a deep one and a big one. It is my belief that we influence the relationship as being part of the relationship a lot more than our society conditions us to believe. So we have a lot more leverage and control over the way a relationship works. And that is because our conditioning says there's something wrong with the other person. The other person is not doing X, Y, Z. They need to change and then I'll be happy. Well, that essentially gives all your power away to the other person. 
Whereas if you see yourself as an important custodian of the relationship, you have a lot of agency over that, that unit, the unit of relationships. And just as people have different love languages in your personal relationships, so they do have different love languages in teams. Different coaching methodologies work for different people. People are motivated by different things. For example, maybe one of your team members is more motivated by being heard and seeing that you care for them than by a challenge or you putting a lot of pressure on them. We'll spend more time on this in future episodes, but for now, remember, feedback is information and you can always simply shift from a way that doesn't work to a way that works. So if you have a team member who you feel is not performing, experiment with different ways to motivate them. Experiment what really works for them. What is their motivation language? What do they value? And as you experiment, you'll see that maybe you'll try three or four things, maybe the fourth or the fifth thing works and it really works. And then it just works so well that you take the relationship and their performance, the performance of the person, if that's a team member to a whole new level. As we said, first you need the data, the feedback, and that only, only comes from experimentation. That's it for now. If you're enjoying the show, please hit subscribe. It is so important in the early stages of a podcast to have subscribers. And so I would love it if you're enjoying the show, if you're getting value from it, if you share it with your friends, if you leave me a review, and if you subscribe. I'll see you on the next episode.